Welcome everyone to the Luke Cage podcast by Fantastic Geek, your official and official voice of the Marvel Cinematic Community. My name is Matt and joining me as always is Pete. Hello, Pete. Hey, you're bulletproof, not clairvoyant. The Luke Cage podcast by Fantastic Geek for episode 211, The Creator. It's brought to you by Mama Maybelline's Kindling. More wood for the fire. Ooh. Scintillating Pete, here we are, the final stretch of Luke Cage, just a handful of episodes left after this, but we are still going strong over on Cloak and Dagger, ditto on the Marvel Movie Podcast, where we are reflecting on Ant-Man just in this last uh, week or so, and the party continues, as always, on the Pop Culture Podcast feed, where it all comes together. No big deal, man, just covering the 20th MCU movie, two shows at once, more in the pipeline can't wait to bring it all to you the bloody after effects of mariah's massacre are contrasted by a mournful luke feeling guilty for not having stopped mariah misty's reminded that she can stay but luke needs to go Regardless, Detective Toma says it should be a variety of other baddies who did this. But who shot Uncle? CSI Luke notes blood spots suggesting a living witness. The credits reveal the episode is written by Nicole Morante Matthews and Matthew Lopes. It's directed by Stephen Sergic. At Bushmaster's swanky lair, Tilda is tending to a very bloodied Bushmaster, with Sheldon asking brethren to fight. Why do they fight? Rum is only the beginning. Tilda gives him more nightshade, and we flash back to Kingston, mid-1980s. A young Bushmaster, a.k.a. Johnny, sees a young Cornell splashing young Maymay. He overhears a powwow between young Gwen and young Mabel. There's even young Ben Donovan. Turns out it's true that 50-50 split was signed on the dotted line of a cocktail napkin. We get some Sheldon flashback, too, talking about free inoculation injections, which killed the other kids, but not young Johnny. We see in this episode's flashback what we were told about in the prior episode. The firebombing of Johnny's home. He made it out. Mommy didn't. Mabel walks by, unconcerned, and throws lawyer papers into the fire. Two years later, young Bushmaster is selling fruit and is shot by Uncle Pete. Young Sheldon <laughs> takes Johnny into the mountains. Nightshade won't heal him, but it will reveal him. He was saved then, just as in the present day, Tilda's Nightshade saves him. Remaining in the present day, Mariah is using biometric James Bond stuff to get into the newly secured basement lair. Atrius resin lining the walls to keep her safe from Bushmaster. Shades isn't so sure, to say the least. Later, Shades cleans his hands. Is there a damn spot he can't get out? Later, Mariah is not happy about Auntie's survival and depends on Shades to defend her massacre. She takes a meeting with Yangtze Noshi representatives to start selling heroin in Harlem. She wants to tear down walls. Later, drunk, Mariah talks with Mabel, who does not approve of bringing drugs into Harlem. The ghost of Uncle Pete returns too, and they all dialogue. Later, she's still drinking, this time with handsome assistant Alex. Shades is none too pleased, and Alex decides it's time to leave when Shades takes out his gun. Not a metaphor. He adds that he hasn't killed Auntie, and that he is done with the life. Mariah gets all close and personal and says she made him. Mariah indeed wonders if maybe Shades and Comanche were gay for the stay in prison, or more since they got back. 
Shades pushes her away into her desk, then walks away. In Gwen's restaurant, Misty does her mental vision secret power to divine a view of the massacre, but she's actually in the precinct, and Luke looks on as Bailey runs over a list of the dead. The pieces are placed together in a way of the newest menu ever, giving lots of information. Luke's ready to shake the trees and find out what's what. Cut to a montage where he asks all manner of ethnic bad guys who did it. However, Misty has found footage of anti-Ingrid escaping from Gwen's. The deputy chief tells Misty word is out that there was a survivor, and the commissioner and mayor both want Misty front and center with the media. It'll calm nerves of both the general and West Indian variety. So she faces the media. Intercut is Luke charming hospital nurses to break HIPAA, though not really. One nurse suggests he check the cash-only neighborhood clinicas. Back to Misty, she's searching for a thirty-eight revolver, like the one that killed Candace Miller. Turns out she's right. Jerry from Ballistics says the gun is a match to a decades-old killing, that of Uncle Pete. But Scarf was part of the gun case, so it's tainted. Later, Misty, at her car, is approached by Shades, ready to deal, and he's put into cuffs. But Luke is still on the prowl, making his way to a clinica, roughing up a few fools who run home and tell Mariah he's coming. He finds Auntie, and they slip through the West Indian Day Parade, or at least he tries to, because he turns his head and suddenly Auntie is gone. Shades has her, but he can't end her. Shades runs, and Luke has her again. Can he imagine what it's like losing someone ripped away by someone's hand? Yes, it's called Jessica Jones Season 1. Now they're officially on the run, though. She wants to get to Anansi. Luke won't take her to Misty or anyone else from the fuzz. Back we go to Bushmaster. He's pushed out shrapnel and back in the land of the living. His diagnosis from Dr. Tilda, MD, quote, it's not good. Emotionally gets worse. He's told about Uncle Anansi. The three break into the cordoned off Gwen's, shocked. They find a belt buckle. Tilda makes her way to Harlem's paradise, stunned. She's told her mother didn't just give the order, she lit the match. Meanwhile, Bushmaster makes his way to see his dead uncle and is reunited with Gwen and Luke. Auntie bids them to talk and Bushmaster is thankful Auntie was kept safe. It's noted that Luke Cage and Bushmaster aren't that different, but still it seems they'll tangle next time. Luke walks, tailed by Sugar. Someone has to take over this madness, says Sugar. Harlem needs a king, and Luke is willing to talk to end the episode. Pete, now we're going to talk about some bad... Mm. Shut your mouth. We're just talking about some bad guys, Pete. Let's start with Sheldon, both young and old. I don't know. Where do you want to start? Really, the chronicler, the keeper of Bushmaster's story, which I found very compelling in this episode. Uh, yeah, I mean, he remains a reliable lieutenant to Bushmaster, and particularly in, in an episode where we see Bushmaster in, the, in a bit more of a sympathetic light. Some of it may be story retread. But we certainly get some some sympathy and some context. Sheldon is the one there continuing to to prop him up, prop up his cause, which I dare say Sheldon views as a just cause. Yeah. And between getting Tilda to nurse, to doctor, uh, Bushmaster, telling the story of uh, when they were children, particularly effective when uh, – 
when Bushmaster was nearly killed by uh, Uncle Pete's bullet um, in Trenchtown um, and then saved by the, uh, I mean, what, what do we call her? A witch doctor, a priestess, I'm, I'm not quite, a healer? Healer, uh, I think, is probably that's probably the neutral term with which to go. Yeah, I'm I'm not quite clear, but um, whatever it is, I mean, it it was effective to see him, you know, as Bushmaster's age, as friends uh, here, you know, getting their hustle on when they were kids, and somebody tried to snuff Johnny MacGyver out. And if there is a big bad to this episode, Pete, maybe it's Maybelline. <laughs> I see what you did there. Um, I would say it's Maybelline for sure. Um, what a presence to bring her back. She's she's never far from the screen, Matt, in the photos they use of her in Harlem's Paradise or in anything in Mariah's home. It's amazing. Somebody who tormented her so has such a place in her life. I will say, too, there's never an okay time to firebomb somebody's home when there's a, a mother and a sleeping teenage child in there. Right. But but it's extra villainous to walk on by and make a snide comment, throw your lawyer papers in there, then walk off into the night. Like, it's one thing to do bad when you're not looking at your victim. It's worse when you actually look him in the eye. Hey, sorry about your mom. Uh, here's this lawyer stuff I told your mom was worthless. See you later. Right. And kudos to actress Latanya Richardson Jackson, who just she looks out of that era. The the cadence with which she walks, the the dress. It you do not question it for a moment. This the wife of Samuel L. Jackson. Ah, I had forgotten that. Well, Certainly a presence on screen, perhaps a bit less foreboding, but equally well cast was young Ben Donovan, who just looked like old Ben Donovan, but young. And then we, of course, saw him lawyering in this It's a Small World presentation where everybody who we've ever met in the Stokes orbit, Stokes Dillard orbit, uh, is there in a curtain call of characters. Well, that little nugget earlier that Mama Mabel had put him through law school now pays off that he was there in Kingston in the eighties, uh, you know, on the defensive side of mama Mabel with this, uh, potential legal action that didn't come to fruition because mama Mabel killed, um, Bushmaster's mother. We also get, at least on screen, the return of Uncle Pete, who is uh, all the more dastardly, not only in our view, but I think also just objectively, he's a he's a worse character than when we lost uh, last saw him on screen. Uh, interesting that both he and Maybelline get this uh, kind. Of, I won't take it to task too much, but there's definitely a writer's scene where you have their, you know, by way of the drink, you have their ghosts of of a sort both reappear to talk mm -hmm. to Mariah. That was a very interesting scene and that she's yelling at them and then we pull away and they're obviously not there and that she's owed just the, the anger. I mean, listen, these people tormented her. Okay. 
the the mother figure, the pseudo father figure, also abuser, molester, rapist, and the the remarks. I mean, we had a death in the previous episode that's relived in this episode that we said in a press in a previous podcast might be the most brutal thing done in all of the Marvel cinematic universe, this scene and some of the things intimated in it, this is, this is serious TV. I appreciate as well that they don't, it, it wasn't overly written in terms of like, the cliche to be honest of she gets done with the scene and ends up being this mental monologue you know it's a dialogue with her you know that's going on in her drunken imagination it would have been over the top or would have been just unnecessarily overly written if it was like then alex comes in miss uh dillard who are you talking to no one get out like just have it be this moment that is what it is and then move on from it so certainly kudos there to the writing What Mariah does overall in this episode with the fallout of what they've done at Gwen's consolidating, attempting to protect her power and her wealth with this Atreus plastics bunker now going to put her her Basquiat painting there. Um, She's unstable by the end of the episode, clearly her uh, lower ranks are available, aware of this and are bolting um, shades goes to the cops and is looking to turn it around at her. Uh, she's at a tipping point. And I think it's a great review there. That's not just shades as her number two. You also have sugar standing in for what I would assume would be, as you say, kind of the lower ranks where, all across the board, there's just kind of this acceptance that something is not right and things are starting to fall apart with the organization. Yeah, I think it's a it's an endemic issue that they have and obviously back to the instability of the leadership. Pete, the, the worst of the bunch might know that uh, things are headed in the wrong direction, but uh, Alex is either blissfully unaware or... Or he's just blinded by that Mariah magic. Alex is a shot caller now. <laughs> you can, I, I think this is a really great use for the Alex character who's been around long enough to be kind of expositional, you know, oh, uh, Tembi Wallace wants an interview and kind of stuff of that sort. Hey, your daughter is here. I will explain things to her until you arrive. Um, to have this turn here, I think it's very in line with mariah's character and i think it also serves as a great jumping off point for shades to realize the business is in trouble her propensity for returning to uh, to illegal stuff remains he has no out uh legitimate or otherwise so it's time to just walk away from the entire thing heck pete he's got his heart broken in a couple spots and i'm not sure how much of a villain shades still is um well pete you know what shades teaches us that it's never too late to go blab to the fuzz and tell them what's what about about your crew and if that's if that's not a lesson that we all can't learn from then then maybe shades isn't the hero of this story pete maybe he is a villain 
with Bushmaster, we get much of his story uh, told in flashback again, further humanizing him. And I think it's cemented in the scene in the morgue with Luke that they could have been friends. There's a grudging respect. And we know that this is ultimately headed for a final showdown. Agree with everything. My question is this, how is that acknowledgement and how is that, that, change of direction towards the final showdown how is any of that different than the fight on high bridge where at least story-wise it was the same sentiment i think it's different in where we are in terms of the story and what bushmaster has now survived as opposed to before when he had the upper hand and had knocked luke off his pedestal um, you really look at it as, as a, as a three act play, if you will. And we had the initial knockout, we had the fight on high bridge, and now we have the looming confrontation. Well, in an episode that certainly, I think tweaks its nose a bit at story convention in that we get kind of the tour of, uh, ethnic bad guy groups in New York. Uh, we get uh, we get Yang, who's uh, selling Pete that Chinese heroin. No one's called it China White in ages, Matt. <laughs> I guess I'm just uh, I don't know back with the old times. Uh, I can only assume that he's being inserted into the story here to help with the big flourish. You know, I'm, I'm always interested in looking at not just episode structure, but particularly season structure we're setting up the final turn here in these last two episodes. So he's going to have to play some kind of, some kind of deal. Heck Pete, maybe uh, his uh, heroine will be the thing that brings the NYPD crashing through and finally able to get Mariah Dillard. Well, not needing to turn to the H trade, Matt, we need to thank all the wonderful people who contribute to patreoncom slash fantastic geek. They keep the podcast not just aloft, but in all seriousness, keep the podcast independent, make this possible. You know, we've we've had a couple of uh, ad opportunities here and there that were just not a good fit because they wanted us to say things we did not believe in. And uh, Pete, it's like keeping out all those all, all those other troublesome groups. We get to run Fantastic Geek pure, plain and simple. With their support, Matt, there's no need to chase the ad dragon. Big picture where we break down theories about the road ahead. Pete, not a lot of road left, but a lot of story to go. Commissioner Knight? Um, I say the story here is committing even more to the notion that she's going to stick around at the NYPD, which makes sense, particularly since we have this cross-pollination between the Defender shows. Maybe, possibly, some ancillary data to suggest that we're not going to do 10 seasons of Luke Cage and 10 seasons of Daredevil and Jessica Jones and Iron Fist and 10 of Defenders. You know, I'm not saying there's an end in sight at all, but just at a certain point you sit and go, are we rushing Luke Cage season three into production or are we going to have a sweet story arc for Misty Knight as head of the precinct where she can show up in three episodes of this and two of that and two of the other? I think that's much more likely. Oh, ye of little faith, Matt. 
How about shades shaking? Pete, I sense the good in him, or in this case, he senses the bad in him. As I said in the recap, Pete, he's got the damned spot on his hand. He can't get it out. Pete, it's not actually there. He feels guilt, okay? He just wanted to do a little bad sometimes, not a lot of bad in a Jamaican restaurant. He wants out. He wants to be able to, Pete, maybe maybe he gets, get you know, does a little uh, probation or whatever, Maybe he ends up getting a job at that dispensary. Here's your spinoff uh, show here. Shades and Turk. Marijuana dispensary guys. Provisional title. <laughs> Shaking. Cracking. Ratting? Did he rat, though? I mean. He went to the cops, man. He He's ready he to did. sing. He's ready to sing. Something tells me that this Shades would have capped. I'm sorry. That that uh, Seagate shades would have capped this shades. Maybe, but let's see what it is that he shares next episode. I wouldn't be surprised if it's kind of very, very. Um, I mean, I use the word provisional uh, again, kind of provisional stuff. Where I'm going to talk about the killing at Gwen's. I'm not going to talk about your crazy theory about gun running because that's a no comment. But I'm going to talk about X and not Y or Z. Um, I don't know. We'll, we'll see. As I've said before, Pete, I'll say it again. One of the great joys of Luke Cage season one was knowing that Shades got out alive. Let's let Shades live again. Johnny McIver's healing power, Matt. The nightshade doesn't do it. He had this before. What's the deal? That was a surprising reveal in... A whole flashback portion of the episode, which was nice, but mostly covering stuff that we already knew. Uh, that we did not know, and that has me wondering. I mean, it's difficult. I mean, there's only there's only two episodes left, so if that's some sort of springboard, okay. It's not much room in which to spring. Is that setting up potentially another season or a story element for another Marvel show? I don't know, but th that was probably the biggest moment in this episode where I sat up and said, boy, I did not see that coming. Inhuman? Um, <laughs> maybe, or maybe, let's see, this is probably still too early for them to know about the Fox purchase. At a certain point, they're going to start to just to commit to plant seeds to go. And assuming this thing doesn't get pulled apart, we'll be able to retroactively reveal, you know, a mutant. Um... But Inhuman, I don't know, Pete, I, I dare say the Inhumans brand probably so tarnished that they don't even want to utter that again, not even on the, the grand dame of it all, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Well, who knew that his powers, his origin would stretch so far back? He's been using the nightshade that long. Uh, I, I think that was fairly surprising. Yes, although do you get the sense, Pete, that he has used it much between the mid-1980s plus two or three years later, whatever that late 1980s is, and when we, like, I don't know, and, and, and let me ask, well, let me ask the question a bit clearer. Do you think he's been using it continuously, or was there the time of his youth in the late 1980s, and then there was, a, was there a return to it prior to this season, or has it been continuous? 
it's i think intentionally vague i think you're led to believe for the most part in this episode that he's been using it since that initial episode Hmm, interesting indeed pete here's a question for you i know that sometimes you peer into the future i of course never do so if it's a silly question dear listeners it's because i am so hashtag spoiler pure do we get anything of a curtain call in these last two episodes? Do we see uh, Danny? Do we see Claire? Do we see Colleen? Heck, do we get anything else like a little, you know, Daredevil season three sizzle or Jessica Jones cameo? Do we get any of that? Are you really asking me? Uh, no, I don't really <laughs> want to get spoiled, I guess. I got one for you. Will Mariah actually run the city Yang says she's sitting on half a bill. That's up significantly from the 356 million she got back. Mariah for mayor? Um, I think the Luke Cage ongoing story would be best served by having her kind of definitively thrown in jail by the end of the season. Is there that clue that that could be a story direction that they're headed in. Yes, and I wouldn't complain. Alfre Woodard is wonderful. And if there's the opportunity for her to be, I mean, if you can imagine it, Pete, some sort of, you know, troublesome Manhattan entrepreneur who has a shady past, then entering politics and becoming the villain in our story. I, I don't know what would make the writers dream up that sort of thing, but I'd be interested to see where it goes. I mean, probably, Pete, just, I mean... Common sense tells you she wouldn't get very far in the election, but it could be fun to play with in future seasons of of Luke Cage or, you know, if, if they carry it over to other to other Netflix shows. It could be interesting, but I'm going to lean towards no. And then lastly, Matt, Sugar comes to Luke at the end of this episode. They're going to talk. What are they going to talk about? I think step one, they're going to talk about Sugar saying, I had one foot out the door, and then you, in the first episode, and then you, Luke Cage, you presupposed I was still bad. You did not see the good in me. And you know what? Yeah, I needed to get that scratch in my hood uh, fixed. Uh, for anybody who owns a car, Luke Cage, unlike you, hanging out always for free in the back of Pop's Barbershop, um, that's really, really expensive. So that pulled me back into the life. Now I finally got free again. Pete, Sugar just wants to do what's right, and here's his opportunity to do so. I'd say if there's a darn good chance that Shade survives the season, man, let's see Sugar make it out free and clear. Word on the street where we hear from you, the listeners. Pete, we had a couple of listeners want to correct us on a particular point. Are you ready? Yes, I am ready. Uh, we had our pal Andre Yeager, that's at Dr. Polo 1983, respond to podcast our podcast for uh, Luke Cage 209. He says, you mentioned the eye vulnerability for Luke. Remember in Jessica Jones, he got the concussion from the gunshot, and Claire had to go in through the eye socket to relieve the pressure. Gross but effective. Uh, and a similar sentiment from Eric Pritchard, that's at Just Pritch who said Claire went through Luke's eyes to fix him up after the Judas bullets. Didn't he hashtag defend? Yeah. So uh, thank you for calling us out on that. Should have remembered it. Yeah, that's exactly how I felt. I think 
to be fair, we didn't say that he wasn't vulnerable there, but we certainly did not circle back to the uh, to the uh, you know all that stuff from Jessica Jones. So, a fair observation, Pete. Any uh, any words on the street from you? Yes, a review left for us on the Pop Culture Podcast by Fantastic Geek Feed, where you get everything that we do. This left by Jay Killen Nine. Uh, five stars. The headline is Love All of Them. And it reads I've actually slowed my binging down to listen to these movie, movies slash TV whatever pete listen i enjoy a good binge as much as next person but i really really genuinely feel for shows worth reflection and that's certainly not all shows you know ask me about my top chef uh binges during dinner and things like that but you know for shows in the mcu for a show like luke cage that is more than uh strong guys gonna beat up other strong guy that's digging a little deeper talking about racial issues societal issues it's worth slowing down a little bit to take that time to reflect, whether you're reflecting with yourself, whether you're checking out articles online, whether you're listening to podcasts, whatever it might be, whether you're having those conversations around the water cooler. It it speaks to the quality of a show when you slow down. So I say uh, thank you to that reviewer for uh, slowing down with us. Well, that's just it. We want to be able to provide the water cooler discussion you might not be able to have about this. So thank you so much, Jake Hill and Nine. Indeed. And Pete, how can everyone be in touch with you? Particularly here we are where we got two episodes of Luke Cage to go. We're actually recording a tiny bit ahead. So as, as these thoughts enter people's minds here about uh, about Luke Cage, about Cloak and Dagger, uh, what should they do? Heck, Pete, how should they be in touch with you? You can be in touch with me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, 10,000. 33 followers can't be wrong and while i'm personally on twitter as looking back lost do be in touch with the podcast comment on fantasticgeek.com check us out on twitter instagram and gmail where we are fantastic geek as well wait there's more facebook.com with the slash and the fantastic geek and the ph and the one word and you need to be there today pete here's what's left for luke cage we got episode 212 on Tuesday. We got the season two finale on Thursday. Uh, one week from today, we'll be wrapping up the season to so certainly share your thoughts with all that. It's gone by so quickly, Pete, as has this episode. So, with that, I will say adios to all the listeners. Give you the final word. Nightshade, no heal. Nightshade, no heal.